Air push-ups are super cool, and I would totally use those in gym class to, like, not actually, like, I'd move my arms if I could and just get away with it that way. I just, I think air push-ups are the way to be. I can control my breath so much more than I can control my muscles. I just wish I had air push-ups in my life. Do you think they're difficult? Like, do you think think that's difficult airbending to do? No. You think it's like basic rudimentary, every airbender can do it. Just here's an air push-up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think depending how long you can do it, because it's it's the contracting of your diaphragm in a way, kind of as if you're doing, you know, like vocal exercise and how long you can hold a, hold a note. I think it's very similar. I could be wrong, though. I'm no like airbending master over here. Do you think they're easier or harder than regular push-ups? Oh, I don't know. I guess it depends on if you or you have more core strength or upper body strength. And seeing as I have absolutely no upper body strength, I would say they'd be easier for me. All right. Air push-ups. Personal easier than regular push-ups. push-ups. You heard it here first. <laughs> Water. Earth. Fire. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe... Aang can save the world. Hello and welcome to the Pie Show, your Avatar Rewatch podcast. I'm Kelly. And I'm Colton. Today we are discussing Season 1, Chapter 4, The Warriors of Kyoshi. Ah, Kyoshi time! Uh, the introduction, the... Uh, To summarize, Aang, Sokka, and Katara go to the island of Kiyoshi, where they receive a chilly reception. After Aang proves he's the Avatar, he becomes a celebrity! Woohoo! It's so funny how this summary talks about Aang so much, and yet, I will be honest, I did not pay much attention to him this episode. As much as I was rewatching and paying attention to everything, I was all hung up on Sokka, Suki, and the introduction of who Kiyoshi is and the Kiyoshi Warriors. I'll be you honest. hung up on the Kiyoshi Warriors? I never would have imagined. What? Me? About these, you know, super, like, wonderful, strong, independent war- female warriors? What? Listeners, you don't know this, but my first time watching the show, literally every time the Kiyoshi Warriors appeared on screen, Kelly would just shout at me, What about the Kiyoshi Warriors? (laughs) Right? Every time. I mean, they're in a world with these strong benders, and they hold their own. And I just, it's so impressive that they found their own way. And they they made an impact on me. They made an impact on me when I first watched the show. And I can't not sing their praises in this rewatch. Colton, 
Beginning of the episode, Sokka and his pants. Is this the Sokka that you remember from your first watch? And this the Sokka that you did not like? I had so many issues with Sokka, my first watch of this episode. <laughs> Let me tell you. Oh, oh, oh. The pants, the sexism, just the, the, the food and appetite jokes... I, mm, it feels like it's not Sokka's fault, it's the writers, but the whole man in a dress gag, I just, I, my first watch <laughs> of this episode, I was not really digging Sokka. That's understandable. I think Sokka comes from a village where the gender roles were like where the the roles in the household were very gendered and this is his first time venturing outside of that and he has spent his whole life trying to res, trying to solve you know what a man is and being a warrior and that is a man's job and his like second step outside of that worldview it is questioned it is thrown to the ground yeah and there's i feel like there's this trope in a lot of television of mm -hmm. we need to have the episode in the first half of season one where we just have rampant sexism and i hate that trope it's so beating you over the head with its sexism in a way that you just I feel like they didn't have to write Sokka this way. Mm. They could have made they could have approached it from another angle. So as a woman, I felt different about this one in a way because of course the first rewatch I, I don't like him, I don't condone anything he says here. But the fact that he learns a lesson made it different from a lot of the shows where I've seen that trope because he actually learns the lesson and he'll take that lesson with him going forward. Whereas a lot of shows will do their one episode where, you know, he makes the sexist remarks, he learns a valuable lesson, then he goes back to making snarky comments about women. Whereas I don't see that as much from Sokka. Whereas I see him grow. And the other thing I think we need context for is that this is a children's show. And they're trying to explain sexism to children. So if it is more subtle, kids may not get it. But if it is, girls are really good at sewing and that's all they're good for. Your dancing practice. I need to exercise because I'm a warrior. And then he physically gets shut down and gets flipped over and he has to stop and physically learn. I think that's something that kids can see and translate a bit better into their life. That saying girls are just for sewing is not what I should have learned from this. Do you think it makes the lesson more powerful because he is overtly expressing his sexist views before learning it for the viewer. What do you mean? I'm sorry, I'm confused. You're, correct me if I'm wrong, but your argument is that 
you know, we're, we're teaching a lesson to kids. And the lesson is like, you know, Sokka's view at the start of the episode that women are not warriors. And, and the lesson that he learns at the end of the episode, you know, over the course of the episode that mm-hmm. women can be war. Do you think that lesson is made stronger for the audience by having Sokka overtly express his sexist views at the start? Yes. Okay. I think that's... I think that's where we disagree, mm-hmm. but I I don't know. My my inclination is to say that you can still you can still have that lesson for the audience in a way where you don't have to have Sokka, you know, expressing his sexist views at the start mm-hmm. and potentially potentially unintentionally teaching someone the wrong lesson. I think the good thing is when he makes his sexist remark. He does get pushback at first from Katara. He writes it off because it's his sister, Mm -hmm. but he does get pushback. She goes, oh, here are your pants. Whatever. She throws them back at him and she says, fine, you can do it. You can do it. She, you know, she gets, she pushes back first, but he doesn't get it. It takes, it takes an army knocking him on his butt and him swallowing his pride to be able to learn the lesson. And I think what's different and nuanced about this lesson that Suki says is, I'm a warrior, but I'm a girl too. You can't just say, you know, oh, women, yeah, no, women can be warriors. No, that you can be a girl too. You do not have to strip yourself of your femininity to be a warrior. Okay. I think I need to watch the episode again because I think I'm. <laughs> I think I read a slightly different lesson than you did, and I wanna. Mm-hmm. I wanna read it with, with the way that you see it because mm-hmm. I like that a lot more. Yeah, I really like Suki's perspective on fighting, on how you can be yourself. And I really love that, I don't know, for me, that's, for me, that's how I read it. And for me, that's how it comes off is that you can be a warrior, but you can also be feminine. And I really enjoyed that lesson as someone who, you know, growing up was an athlete, was, was very, um, tomboyish, but I loved getting dressed up too. Like I loved both of those things and it very much said, no, you you that's you can be all those things. You don't have to change who you are in that way. You can have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. What's the point of a cake you, can, you can't eat? Yeah, you don't have to you don't have to code yourself in a different way to be seen as more valid, to be taken seriously. That you can be feminine and still be taken seriously. Let's go back to the beginning of the episode because you actually yes. um, you put something in the show notes that I am so happy about. I feel like I've been rubbing off on you because the first note you took was about Zuko. I took a Zuko note. <laughs> you said he has broad. You notice his broadswords on his wall. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest. I feel like a, a, a fake Zuko fan because I didn't notice these at all. <laughs> I noticed them. I and I thought it was 
very interesting because if you notice from like other firebenders and stuff, you don't really see too many weapons on them because they are the weapons. And it was just, I find it really refreshing to see Zuko having, you know, the broadswords on his wall, not just because, hint, hint, he's really good at broadswords, but because he admires non-bending fight styles. And I don't know, I feel like I get the vibe from Fire Nation that... I don't know, you'd think that Fire Nation would kind of look down on non-benders in a way, but to see Zuko appreciate a method of fighting that's non-bender, I think is really smart. I think it does not underestimate the enemy, which he's working on. I mean, he still underestimates his enemies a lot. He does, currently, but... He's not ruling out anybody just because they don't have bending. Not sure I agree with that. I think the broadswords are more the the one area of combat where he feels a level of proficiency or ability in uh, beyond just the basic use. But we can we can argue that more later. Oh, I think will. I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we will argue that more. Though though on that <laughs> note, and I don't want to. You know, spoil too much. Do we see these broadswords again? Are they? Because I I didn't even notice in the oh, episode. Yeah. They're they're the ones that we see uh, later. Uh, we will see these broadswords again in the series. Well, now I need to go back and watch the first appearance of the broadswords. <laughs> see, as much as as much as I am a Sokka fan, I am I was a Zuko fan the first watch through. Don't get me wrong; the first time I watched this, I was a huge Zuko fan. So. I still take my Zuko notes. I'm very proud. I feel like the more times I rewatch this series, I get hung up on a different character each time. Like the first rewatch was a Zuko because I wanted to see his whole transformation now that I knew where he landed. And as I've moved onward in my rewatching, I find myself landing on different characters. Like the latest one has been Sokka. Um, and I, I think I'm going to find that with maybe other smaller characters as I move forward. I wonder how many rewatches we'll have to do before you're just focused solely on Momo's arc as a character and where he I, starts and where he ends up. That will be a fascinating rewatch for me. I feel like I already went through the Appa phase before, so maybe that's why Appa did not win Cute Animal or that one time. But I've gone through, I've gone through a few. I've gone through Toph. Definitely gone through Toph, um, and I've gone through my Iroh, but I might go through my Iroh again this time. We'll see. I think I think Who we knows? can get at least a mini Iroh out of you this time. Definitely a mini Iroh. Who knows? I might get real hung up on UA at some point. <laughs> just <laughs> just spend like thirty minutes on that. I apologize in advance. I never know what what thing I'm gonna get stuck on. <laughs> well. Unfortunately, we didn't have too much Iroh in this episode to talk about. No, but there is a nice moment between him and Zuko about keeping a level head. And I think it's really sweet how Zuko, he knows what the lesson is from Iroh, but he fails to be able to put it into practice, 
but he at least knows what it is this time. He knows about like patience and being reserved and keeping it together, calm, cool, collected. And then he gets frustrated and he like snaps. But he knows the start of it. So I and he knows impressed. that he's not doing it. He knows that he's not doing it. And, and Iroh knows he's the- not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but awareness is the first part of solving the problem. So that's true. He's on his journey. Yeah. So I found another instance of context mattering a lot. I know we talked about this with context of uh, Aang not being in a world war and everybody else being in a world war. And uh, so far we've seen it in some like really sad instances of like Aang saying, you know, you are a kid and Katara being like, no, I'm not. I have to be all grown up because everything's on fire. But I love when you can play it for a comedic effect, which is Zuko saying, wow, this avatar, his evasive maneuvers are in, are intense. He's so he's so planned and organized. And it cuts over to Sokka and Aang and Katara. And Aang has no idea where he is on the map. He's just trying to find this one place with a really cool animal. It's near That's water. It. It's near water, I think. It's just him not knowing, but it's read as evasive maneuvers by everybody else. I think that's something this show does particularly well. The, the visual and, the, and the, the building of scenarios where context matters and you have these situations that are viewed completely differently by different characters. Um, like, you, like you said, you know, Aang's masterful evasive maneuvering is really just a kid trying to remember this place he went to or heard about this one time, and he has no idea what he's doing. Um, I feel like that's me every time I'm trying to get to the ice cream store. I'm like, wait a second. This ice cream shop, when I was a child, it was an exit. It had a four in it. I'll find it. (laughs) And And that's what Aang's doing. Like, I know it was the tree... I saw the tree that time. I could just see it again. I could get there. It was past the gas station, but there were two gas stations, so I'm not sure. (laughs) But yeah, so eventually they get to this island with these giant fish to surf, I guess. The elephant koi! These were mentioned at the end of episode two, right? Yes! This brings us to... Elephant koi. Tell us about the elephant koi. (laughs) Elephant koi. They just were mentioned at the end of the last episode. And here we are. We're going straight to them. We have, well, not straight because Aang can't remember where they are at first. But it's so cool to have like a call back right there. They're really trying to connect the episodes at the beginning, very strongly to keep people, keep people watching. Um, this episode, we get elephant koi. We get the giant unagi. 
That's just fun to say, unagi. Unagi, which is a freshwater eel. Uh, and Komodo Ryans. Rhinos. Komodo rhinos. Apologies. Komodo Ryans. Komodo Ryans. Ryans wow, and Ryan. Komodos. <laughs> <laughs> Komodo rhinos. I love the uh, rhinos. We also see Momo and Appa. I'm just for ranking purposes. Are you you can't say we also see Momo and Appa because we're gonna list them in every episode then. Yeah. I think they should be contenders every episode. <sighs> you can fight me on that. I will, but in the interest of keeping this segment from taking over the whole show, I'll fight about it with you over several weeks. I <laughs> like the rhinos. I think like, they're a fantastic okay. plot device that we'll see going forward. And I really like that we have the like the, the mechanistic fire nation still riding these giant, terrifying animals. Yeah. I... I thought what was really interesting this episode is, I know I said cute animal alert, but this is the first episode where we have decidedly not cute animals. Like, everything up until then has been like, look at this adorable little fluffy thing. Look at this adorable little thing. It slides on its belly. Oh, so and you agree that penguins in... are adorable. I think that you think that the penguins are adorable. I find them creepy. Again, too many flippers. I will die on that hill but the unagi is the first decidedly non-cute thing we're riding these cute elephant koi and then all of a sudden this thing with these like little things coming from its face comes flying up and shooting geysers from its mouth that is terrifying but i i kind of love it because these they're it's not just cute and fluffy animals we've got some danger added this world could be dangerous. Makes it a little extra spicy. Yeah, it does. It's a little. It's a little spice. It's a little chili pepper. I love it. <laughs> you <laughs> think you're having fun at the beach, and watch out! A giant unagi's coming damn. up. Unagi coming at you. And if I'm doing my ranking, my number one this this week is gonna be Appa because. Appa puts on the performance of a lifetime being tired, and I really appreciated that. Also, Sokka refers to Appa as a 10-ton magical monster, and I don't know why, but that just, I think in context of a rewatch, that seems so weird. It did not seem in context with the show. It's like when he calls bending magic and Katara has to be all sassy back. I feel like that happened again here. And I don't think we see another character say something like that for a while. Like it's just kind of accepted that these animals can do some really spectacular things. But to hear Sokka say it, call it a 10 ton magical monster seemed odd to me. Did that stick out to you at all? It didn't. I kind of just took it at face value and, and moved on. I didn't sit on that line for too long. But I do think it's really interesting how it seems like Sokka is the one who most is willing to bring magic into the world. And you pick mm -hmm. up on it and take issue with it every single time. 
Because you're building a world. And I think the thing is about Sokka saying it, he's meant to be the everyman. He doesn't have bending powers. Like, he doesn't have powers. He's just the 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 person the audience can identify with and to have him point out that this is something different is an interesting use and i think it goes the rate of it goes down as we go through the series and that might be him just expanding his worldview but i don't know if it's a combination of that and is the audience becoming more familiar with the world and we don't need to we don't need to say yeah this is kind of magical in its way and we can move on well i think it's both i think Sokka expands his worldview as the audience expands their own Hmm. we we sort of grow into that comfortableness in in this fantastic world with Sokka. i like that well it was your idea you're the one calling him the everyman that we're supposed to (laughs) glom on to I'm just taking that idea and following it through to the conclusion. In my brain, I saw that as two separate paths, and then you just put them together and said, Kelly, here, on one plate. I was like, ah. I will gladly take credit for just explaining your own thoughts back to you. Thank you for making a shepherd's pie of that situation. I have a question for you about the key, about just yes. like the entire Kiyoshi Island society village thing going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know if he has a name, but like the village elder guy, mm-hmm. when when he first captures our our group of three traveling here, and you know they're tied to the pole, he says that. Kiyoshi has managed to stay out of the war. Yes. How? (laughs) How do you stay out of a war when the war (laughs) is just this group of people conquering? Did the Fire Nation just not care about the island? So there are pockets around the world that have not been entirely impacted by the Fire Nation imperialism. There are pockets. They're one nation. They're trying to expand, but they haven't reached all over the world yet. And especially the Earth Nation is so large. And seeing as it is, it, it, it is, it is large, and this is more coastal and out of the way. It's not. It's not a big economic impact for the Fire Nation, so it wouldn't be a good target for them, honestly. And. Kyoshi staying out of the war, the main purpose of the Kyoshi warriors at the beginning and at the beginning of this episode and the beginning of the series is that they keep the the island and the village safe. And their their purpose is to maintain the line. So having these three, you know, infringe upon their domain, that is when they will attack. When the Fire Nation came into their village, that is when they will attack. However, they're not ones to go out and insert themselves in situations. The Fire Nation hasn't expanded too much into Earth Nation yet to make it worth their while. They've eradicated the Air Nation and they have um, made their attacks on the Southern Water Tribe. We learn more about their situation with the Northern Water Tribe 
And we will also uh, find entire cities and um, monarchs that have not seen the impact yet of the fire nation um, from the earth nation. So this is just a part of the world that they have not hit yet. I know that doesn't seem like a good enough answer for you because you're like, come on. I mean, I just think they've had a hundred years. And honestly, if I'm if I'm engaging in war against an entire kingdom, then I think that the medium-sized island off the coast of the larger kingdom is a pretty good place to set up a stronghold to lay siege to that kingdom. It just, it seems strategically more valuable than the Fire Nation might be considering it. I think the Fire Nation is trying to focus on toppling the monarchs and the people in control first, and Kiyoshi does not have a, like, centralized government stance in the Earth Nation. So it would probably fall pretty easily? But and that's word not might not the even Fire make Nation's it back. Goal. That's that's not necessarily the Fire Nation's goal. The Fire Nation is, likes to conquer from the top down. That just uh, that seems needlessly showy to me. But that's who uh, the Fire the Fire Lord is. <laughs> Silly Fire Lord Ozai. Yeah, that's who Ozai with is. With his he, heart instead of his mind. He's incredibly showy. Shame they don't show him for three seasons. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I I can point showy out guy uh, hides his po- face. Points of, I can point out points of him being showy. Um, let's, especially once it gets to the final episode. Yeah, let's point but, him out as we go. Uh, I just yeah, I think it makes it, no sense that the the Fire Nation is not targeting Kyoshi Island. You know, earlier in the war. I don't think they see their value. They don't see their value yet. And also, Kiyoshi has really kind of kept to themselves. They don't involve themselves in anything else. And if they're going to be, you know, basically appeasing the imperialistic nation, then what's the point of going in just yet if they're going to roll over anyways? So why not get the places that are fighting first? And then you can just easily take over the other ones. Well, you need somewhere to stage your army so that you can attack more effectively than having to sail across the ocean every time you want to you want to have a battle we haven't gone to we haven't gone to other um earth nation ports yet though there are other earth nation ports that yeah they're at yeah maybe when we get there i just it you and i have very different strategies for war and yeah (laughs) my strategy is get the army (laughs) as close to where they need to be to fight as easily and as quietly as possible. And then, mm-hmm. surprise! It's a war! And I'm a grab park place situation. <laughs> See, I'm all about, you know, patience and staging and waiting for that one moment to strike. Kiyoshi Warriors! They are so strong and so cool, and I love how they're ambush on the group and they take them in and then like you know who where are the men that ambush us there were no men we ambushed you oh my goodness it's so cool especially in comparison to soccer to the southern water tribe where all the men went off to battle 
and all the women's like from what we can see the women stayed at home and take and took care of the children now we've got a completely different nation completely different village and here are the ladies large and in charge and i just really appreciated that and it it gives us it gives us a little bit of spice that you know not every nation holds the same values. This is showing us that we are now in a different place. I never thought of it like that. The whole demonstration so early in the show that we have these basically different subsets of good guys, more or less, mm-hmm. with different values from each other. That really opens up the world. Yeah. Makes it seem like a a lived-in place and and a place that is bigger and, you know, inhabited with lots of different people than having sort of the the monolithic, this is good and this is bad and they're diametrically opposed and there is no nuance inside of either. But that's really, that's not what we get here. I also think it's really interesting, our first introduction to an Earth Nation town and we don't meet any earthbenders yet. The Kyoshi warriors are not earthbenders. They're non-benders who fight for their who fight for their village. You know, the first time I watched this episode, I didn't even realize that this was an earth kingdom town. I thought it was just a town. Mhm. Like just that it existed on its own. Mhm. A a pseudo city-state. Yeah. Uh well they they are very separate from people, but if you notice in their style and you can see in the coloring all the green and everything and they take that from Avatar Kiyoshi who was the uh the most recent earth bending uh uh avatar. Yeah, yeah. And I think the the almost feudalism that we'll see in the Earth Kingdom going forward really starts here. You know, you have these these again, almost independent city-states um, that are mm-hmm. all part of the Earth Kingdom, but to varying degrees, you know, they're not all, they don't all participate in it to the same extent. Yeah, and they're so little history about their government structure they actually avatar kiyoshi was the governor of kiyoshi island so that's how they're ruled they're ruled by a governor Hmm. just a fascinating little little fact about the history there i need to read the kiyoshi books yeah you need to read the kiyoshi books i just downloaded the first one on my kindle i'm very excited oh yeah oh some kiyoshi fun facts avatar kiyoshi so she was the Earth Nation avatar that preceded Roku and was after the Water Nation, um, the Water Nation avatar. She lived to be 230 years old. Is that normal in this world? I don't know. And that's a great question that we can bring up at Omashu, but... I mean, makes me wonder how long they're going to tack. How long is officially Aang's life? Because Aang was 112 at the start of this, at the start of this series. And I, I haven't, I haven't ever looked at his official age uh, of when 
Yeah, he's technically 112, but he was effectively in stasis for a hundred of those years. Yeah, yeah. So I don't Kiyoshi think that I don't think that century counts. <laughs> Kiyoshi did two thirty, which is just crazy. Also, she was crazy big, like that. That statue of Kiyoshi that they have on the island is almost life-size. Like, it's insane. Like, I know she's up on a pillar and everything, but she was very tall, very strong. And another fun fact that I'll mention about Kiyoshi now, I have more that I will pepper in through this through this series. But another fun fact I love is that her mother was an airbender. And so her use of the fans... Is, is very much taken from the airbender style. And so it's really interesting to see that uh, air nation symbol has been grabbed onto by an earth nation village. And that is what the Kyoshi warriors use in their fighting style. It's really been adopted as part of their culture from Kyoshi. Hmm. I don't think I knew that. Ha <laughs> That makes sense because in the in the final showdown in this episode, Aang grabs a pair of the fans and he uses them mm-hmm. very effectively and he seems almost surprised at how effective he's using them. Mm-hmm. That's It's almost familiar. Yeah. That was her go-to weapon besides like her fists. <laughs> <laughs> I love a strong female character, and there is no one stronger than Kiyoshi. I loved the conversation between Suki and Sokka about the Kiyoshi warrior fighting technique. So we have this moment in in the earlier part of the episode. Uh, like Like you said, Suki kind of kicks Sokka's butt. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I did notice, and I think you'll be proud of me for looking at Sokka, Suki kicks Sokka's butt in pretty much the same way that Zuko kicks Sokka's butt. Yes, early he on. Does. yes, she does. And like, I think that's fantastic because Sokka tries. Yes. He tries so hard and he just keeps failing. And he does something yes. here that I absolutely, like I glossed over it the first time, but I noticed it this time, and I, I love it so much. He swallows his pride. Mm-hmm. He stops getting, you know, flustered and angry at himself for failing or his enemy for defeating him. And he swallows his pride, and he looks at Suki, and he says, please teach me. Like, you yeah. know something I don't know. I'm sure he's thinking, Zuko knows it too. Mm-hmm. You can't learn How it from him. How many people know it? <laughs> Maybe I can learn from you. And I, I love that so much. And I know that, you know, we spoke earlier about Sokka's sense of honor. Do you, do you see anything with that here? Oh, yeah. He, he literally says, I would be honored to learn this style. And I think what's so fascinating about it is that there's that sense of, you know, well, how many people know this? And all these other warriors know it. If I am to be a true warrior, I should learn this. And here's my opportunity. And 
I would be an idiot to not take this opportunity or give it a shot. He humbles himself. Well, Suki humbles him first. Suki humbles him first. (laughs) But but he does humble himself. Personally, I would have loved to see that moment of self-reflection that he had to go through from getting up off the floor to walking back in and kneeling before the warriors and saying, please teach me. Yeah. Suki puts him on his butt, but he puts himself on his knees. Yes. Yes. Which I I would say is, is true honor. That's how you, you honor the person who can teach you and sharing that sense of respect, especially seeing as he walked into this village and walked past their studio with such disrespect. And here he is humble, humbling himself before them to try and earn their respect. I know back in, a, in the first episode, you talked about his call to adventure with, you know, packing the boat and, and getting ready to go mm-hmm. save Aang. But I really think that this moment here with the Kiyoshi Warriors is the first time where we really get to see and we really get to spend a, a moment with a serious Sokka. I would argue that this is the linchpin, the fundamental of Sokka's sense of strategy and being a warrior for the rest of the series. What he learns from the Kiyoshi warriors, he takes and he uses in a multitude of ways of, first of all, learning from others, especially learning from others who have a different worldview from him is something huge. And he may not always agree with with people. I'm thinking specifically of the town that believes in fortune tellers and nothing else. He may not always agree with the people's worldview, but he takes the time to learn about the people's culture, how things work. And he kind of cherry picks things from his travels to pull together a strategy. And he is the person who sees the full board when he's play when he's playing a game. He's not just seeing these individual little pieces. He pulls them all together. And it's so important that the lesson from the Kyoshi Warriors is his first one. He learns about taking the strength of others and using it against them. And he will use that in his battle plans going forward and finding those weak moments, thinking, fighting smart and not fighting strong and how important it is to find those small weaknesses, the Achilles heel and using that rather than exerting so much energy to potentially fail. If going to rescue Aang is his call to adventure, I think training with the Kyoshi warriors is his answering the call. Yes. Yes. And we'll and I see him doing that in not just learning with the Kyoshi warriors, but he also fights alongside them. When Zuko and the Fire Nation come into the town, he is right there beside them, you know, and they make the little joke of like, girls, come quick. And he's like, I'm not a girl, but he still goes. He still runs. He gets a hit in on Zuko. He doesn't even finish the the whole I'm not a girl. He just like, I'm not, ah, whatever. And he just, he yeah. fights as one of them. Yes, he fights as one. He, he starts to 
see different kinds of warriors because up until now he's only seen one kind and they all went away and i think this is the advantage that Sokka will have um, versus other places that he visits is because his ability to travel the world, honestly, and to see the world and to bring all people together. He hangs out with two different people, with two different kinds of benders, with two different personalities. He is the glue. He is. And I think... He is. I don't know if... I don't know if you noticed, but the the lesson that he learns from the Kyoshi warriors of of using your opponent's weaknesses against them and and being patient and and waiting for the opportunity to strike to present itself. We've heard this before. Mm-hmm. This is a lesson that Iroh is trying to teach Zuko, mm-hmm. and I think that I think Sokka learning this lesson is almost learning the same lesson from a from the Kyoshi warriors that we have Iroh trying to teach to Zuko is almost the writers saying, you know, this is one of this is one of the lessons of the show. Mm-hmm. This isn't this isn't the moral of the week. This isn't, you know, the the thinking of just one group. This is something that in this world operates in the background because this is a truth to this world. Yeah. That Yeah. Patience is important. That, yeah, it's it's about finding your moment and not necessarily um, continuing to just battle and battle and battle. It's about having the inner balance to step back in the chaos. Ooh, inner balance! To step back in the chaos and approach things from a clear point of view with a level head. Wow. I find it so interesting that Zuko has been told that lesson and taught taught that lesson by um by Iroh so much but here's Sokka learning it on the ground floor no one's telling him this overtly in a way he has to learn by getting his butt handed to him he has to learn by going through the trial and error he has no one there to overtly tell him this lesson he has to pick it up himself but I I think Kyoshi is so impactful on Sokka's being and I don't think he realizes it yet and it's so exciting to see something that we're like oh man this is good this is this is a defining moment for you you don't know it yet and it's not yet and I love seeing him carry that with him and carry Kiyoshi with him and also carry Suki with him I'm a Suki fan and I'm a Suki Sokka fan We need to talk about Aang a little bit. This is yes, a show about Aang. Yes, we need this, to talk this, about Aang. This is about Aang. Yes. We can't talk about Kiyoshi the entire show. No, no. I could, but we can't. I really like Aang in this episode. Oh, he's so... He just... He wants just one woman's attention and she won't give it to him, but he's got everybody else's attention that he doesn't want. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think he wants... it. I... Th- if you think about it, this is Aang's first real true experience with adoration. This is his first time where he seems to enjoy being the Avatar. This is the first time he's he seems excited to be the Avatar. Can you blame him? It seemed like I with mean, the monks it was all about 
you know, his his duty and, and duty. his responsibility. And then in the Southern Water Tribe, it's like, you're the Avatar. So what? You brought the war here. <laughs> Graham Graham, not impressed. Right. <laughs> but he go and then, you know, the one other time we see him, he's in the air temple after it's all been destroyed oh, in a search yeah. for him. This is the first time where he says, I'm the Avatar, and they say, yay. I love the spreading of the news of the Avatar. I love the jauntiness of the music. It felt very like, bonjour, 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 bonjour. That's what went in my head. And I know they tra- then they transition it as the, as the news spreads. They transition it over to the Fire Nation theme. Which is which is cool. Like they take that nice happy jaunt and then durr, durr, durr. But yeah, I think it's it's really you know, we see Aang being a kid. Yeah. And we see what happens when you have a kid with this sense of responsibility who finally gets to be a kid and gets to be the popular kid. Mm-hmm. And it goes to his head a little bit. Yeah, he's twelve. He wants to show off. Yeah. And he does. And then the Fire Nation shows up. (laughs) And he gets to experience another first in learning how devastating war is. Oh, God. I mean, I think he learned it after the whole genocide thing, but he now gets to see it in real time as opposed to just the aftermath of it. Yeah, the whole... With the Southern Air Temple, he saw the aftermath. He saw, you know, Mm -hmm. skeletons and bodies and wreckage. But now he's seeing homes on fire. And he's met the people. And he's had fun with them. And he's met the enemy. And Mm -hmm. he knows how relentless they are. And it just, it feels more personal this time. This is the first time it's like one plus one equals two. It's like, I came here. Fire Nation came here. Fire Nation destroys village. Like, it's finally, like, connected to him because he didn't know that when the Fire Nation came to the Water Tribe and he wasn't there for the Air Nation. So now it's finally happening. I would even say that it didn't hit him when he saw the aftermath of what happened at the Air Temple. Yeah, because... You know, it's probably very easy as a human, let alone a 12-year-old, to look at that level of destruction and say, you know, these people are just evil. As yeah. opposed to, these people were looking for me. Exactly. Exactly. Because who would do all that over little old me? Little 12-year-old it's, me? It's too much to process. It's unfathomable. Especially for a child. But when the building you were just hanging out with someone in is burning in front of your face, you have to process it. I also found it really fascinating how, like, the whole town is so happy to have Aang and they're so hopeful and they're taking pictures with him when they're getting a portrait drawn with him. They're celebrating him, baking him all these things. And then Zuko comes in and they all duck and cover. <laughs> I just thought that was really interesting because it shows that, you know, and they bring in the warriors to defend the town, but it shows not everybody is prepared to fight a war with the Avatar against the Fire Nation. Do you know what I mean? They're not prepared yet. This is still brand new to them that they have an Avatar. They don't... They haven't put... They haven't put 
two and two together to say we could actually stop the fire nation they don't know to rally behind Aang, is what you're saying yeah they don't know that yet mm. i think they're excited to have him i think this is a shock i think this is brand new but i don't think bit of a celebrity yeah yeah it's cool they're a small town they had one before yeah. but it was a while ago yeah not in their lifetime well arguably that makes the effect more powerful because they spend their they spent their lives growing up looking at this statue and then one day the statue walks into town yeah it looks a little different it's a little smaller mm-hmm. but it walks into town yeah they're like we're known for the avatar and now we have him back <laughs> I also really like how when Aang does realize how serious things are, he his response is not to go and attack the Fire Nation directly. Mm-hmm. His response is to lead them away, jump off of his escape route, save the town on his way out, and mm. then continue to lead the Fire Nation away. Yeah. And I really love how he tries earlier in the episode to tame and ride the Unagi and fails. Mm-hmm. And he fails hard. Yeah. Katara has to save his life, bending water out of his lungs. Yeah. To help him recover. And yet when it's when it's go time, when, you know, other people's lives are at stake and other people's homes are at stake, mm-hmm. he can't fail and he knows he can't fail and he wills himself to succeed. He runs right at the danger that almost killed him. Yeah, and I think it it really speaks to not so much his prowess as a bender or his physical ability. I think it speaks to his power as an individual, his force of will as the avatar. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not all physical. It's not all bending. It's it's that determination. Yeah. It takes something, not just the ability to bend all four elements to be the avatar. It takes a mental fortitude. That little bit of unyielding Kiyoshi in him. That bit of spirit in him. <laughs> yeah, that was a very Kiyoshi move. <laughs> just like, I'm a ride an Unagi. That's a Kiyoshi vibe. If you like the pie show please leave us a review on iTunes. Also, you can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash four. Be sure to tell your friends, uh, share the show, write in your blogs how much you either love our show or hate our show. Just get our show name out there, The Pie Show. I want to point out to you just a small little thing too is the uh so i love it's so funny because like uh, with cosplayers and stuff a lot of their like go-to poses for ang stuff is the marble thing Mm -hmm. and i love that because this is the episode where we get it and also when we come to cora we see that apparently this was just straight up ang's go-to trick anywhere to impress anybody he can master mm-hmm. all four elements he can do anything but he really loves just <laughs> like, like hey guys hey guys hey guys guess what marbles like <laughs> he, 
like he still has Momo like pulling up a little bag of marbles and he's like toss like I bet he taught Momo how to like toss in more marbles and like Mm -hmm. that's what he had the kids do to like show off of like yeah look at how cool I think I just I I totally forgot that this is the episode where that marble thing comes from do you think Tenzin feels like he's not a real airbender because he can't do the marble trick Oh yeah, Tenzin gets straight up daddy issues though. So and that's... do you think he's really <laughs> angry that like one day on her first try, Janora just did it? I think he gets angrier when Janora teaches his brother Boomy how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's when he gets angry. That's when Boomy's like, "Oh, Tenzin!" <laughs> because every time they're at the dinner table together, Boomy's like just playing with his air marbles. Oh yeah. I think that's actually canon. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it's not like, canon. It should be. I am pretty sure there's at least one thing of Boomy starting an air food fight where he like started doing that and it, it went somewhere because I'm remembering it. I got to remember where it was, but uh, yeah, no, but I love that. So iconic to me, the marble bit. And I had, no idea where it was in the series. I could just picture that face on Aang. It's so, I just, yeah, it's a callback. Well, he does it a couple times in the series, doesn't he? He does, but this is like the first, this is the first time. Yeah, and this is like the meme you one. Yeah, this is the, yeah, this is the meme one. 